Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Onside Kick Family Hour. Uh, we're back from a two-week hiatus. This is Ryan Van Biver, the NFL editor for SB Nation. And here with me, as always, Stephen White and Danny Kelly. How are you guys doing today? Doing well. Doing awesome. Hey, that's great to hear. <clears throat> enjoying some mini camp, uh, enjoying some June downtime, some mini camps. <laughs> Getting yeah, ready to head right. into the stretch here. So, Trying to rest up for the grind, pretty that's much. That's right. That's right. You gotta, you know, get the pro, get an extra protein shake in your day right now. <laughs> while you can. Exactly. Take a nap here and there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Get, try to get eight hours. Eight, a little bit of cold tub. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. All right. Well, let's jump right in um, because it's kind of one of those weeks, those typical NFL offseason weeks where there's a lot of little, there's not one big issue, but there's a whole bunch of little things to talk about. And, I guess if we're going to um, if we're going to pull the biggest fish out of the pond first, that's got to be this coming Tuesday. Tom Brady, um, his high-powered attorney Paul Clement, uh, and the NFL's high-powered attorneys are all going to sit down in front of judge, jury, and executioner Roger Goodell to talk about a four-game suspension. <laughs> um, I have a pretty good idea how that's going to go <laughs> already, given who's involved in that. But uh, I, I did want to get your guys' predictions for this real quick, how you think this is going to play out since we're kind of in a lull, but we're going to be hit with some more deflate gate news in about a, in, a, in a less than a week here. Steven, prediction for the Tom Brady appeal. You know, I, I think I said it from the beginning. I, th- I think they're going to knock it down to two games instead of four. I just don't see a way that they're going to totally back away from the Wells report, which they commissioned and just totally, uh, you know, say, well, no, screw this. We spent all this time and money researching this. But even though they said that the Patriots were guilty and Tom Brady in particular was guilty, we're just going going to throw it, you know, crumble it all up and throw that away and and take this suspension away. I just don't see them ever doing anything like that unless they're forced to. Yeah. So I think they're going to knock it down to two games, but I, I think they're going to, they're still going to be some kind of suspension in place. Yeah. Danny, your prediction? Yeah, I mean, I think, like like Stephen said, exactly. They're not going to, you know, they're not going to go out and discredit this report that they, they released and they commissioned. And so I think they're going to stick to their guns a little bit. But at the same time, you know, the, the NFLPA in their letter kind of, you know, uh, criticizing everything – has said that the the fine for tampering is like twenty five grand for a team, and Tom Brady is supposed to lose like almost two million bucks if he serves his full suspension. So, um, I think they're going to argue that angle, and they'll probably get it knocked down one or two games. And so, yeah, I mean that that would be my guess. Obviously, I think with with uh, Roger Goodell in charge, it's like insanely difficult to guess what will happen. But um, yeah, I, I'm thinking I, I think that it'll get knocked down as well. I think it's going to get knocked down. I wonder, though, you know, at this stage of the game, if it's going to get knocked down, because this is Goodell hearing it. You know, he made that, like, paternalistic comment, you know, when he when he when they issued the decision that, you know, he wasn't going to recuse himself and appoint a third party to hear this appeal. He made that that comment about, it's like, well, if Tom, I want to look Tom in the eye, and if Tom has <laughs> any more evidence for me, i.e., if he'll show me what's on his cell phone, that he didn't show the Wells report, I'll uh, I'll think about being benevolent here. So I, I you know I don't know that it's going to get knocked down right away. I, I think this is probably I mean this is a good 
this is a good place for the union. To, this is a good battle for the union to fight. They're fighting on favorable ground with a pretty well-known player, and it's not, you know, it's not something like domestic violence or, or, right. or you know, the Adrian Peterson stuff. It's hard to defend a player who's done those kind of actions. And as much as like, you know, Tom Brady may be a target for like the Skip Bayless and the hot take types. It's still a pretty, you know, that Wells report. I don't think anyone would doubt that they did this. But that Wells report, to me, it still reads, like, the more I think about it, it's like, this is like a C-level freshman paper or something. Great job, good effort, um, but, you know, you could probably do a little bit better on it. So I don't know. We'll see what happens. I, I just, the way it's gone with the union in the league lately, it's hard to imagine anything involving lawyers like Paul Clement and, and, the, and whoever the, the league brings into the fold going away quickly and easily, so... When will we find out about this? I, I don't know. I mean, you know, theoretically, you could find out at the end of the day Tuesday when they're done. Yeah. But it's usually, I mean, you know, you look at how long it's taken with the Greg Hardy stuff and, and some of the other appeals that they've gone through over the last year. I don't think it's probably something that's wrapped up in 24 hours. Yeah, yeah I think I saw something the other day that said that uh, most of those appeals are taking like three weeks. Yeah. Because they were talking about anticipating um, the Greg Hardy decision yes. pretty soon. Yeah. So. Yeah, and it's taking a long time, and this is, uh, you know, and if they go, if they want to fight this more in court, too, it's even, you're even in for the the real long haul here, so. Yeah. And, I mean, with, with Brady's legacy on the line or whatever, quote-unquote, um, you don't see him backing down at any point, so. It could no, probably... no, you don't. And four games is a lot, man. I mean, that's a quarter of a right. season. And for, this is a quarterback. I mean, this isn't a, a guard or a tackle. This is a, a guy that's, you know, you can't replace. It's not a plug-in one-to-one replacement type thing. It's Tom Brady. It's one of the greatest quarterbacks playing the game right now. <laughs> yeah. Just well, in, like, I'm, I'm to... Go ahead, Steven. Yeah. I'm trying to have two minds on, on that situation because – I feel like Tom Brady has done everything that he needs to do anyway. Yeah. So he's got time. He he can basically say, "Look, I don't even care about the four game suspension. Just on the principle of, for principle's sake, I sit out half the season if it means that you have to come back and say you were wrong." Yeah. Because we talked about this earlier. You know, there's a time crunch on this um, that that a lot of people aren't discussing because if it takes three weeks to come up with a decision whether you overturn uh, the suspension or not. Now you're talking about getting into training camp. Yeah. And pretty soon you're going to get into the season. And so it'll be kind of a moot point. You're trying to go to court and take them to court, and it's already week five. Yeah. But at the same time, it's Tom Brady. He's got, you know, the three rings already, or whatever, the four rings. Yeah. What else does he really need to do? So he's got time. He could literally say, look, I don't even care about the suspension for the suspension's sake. I care about my legacy, and I yeah. care about what Goodell is doing. So I'm going to take a stance, and, and we're going to ride this thing all the way out. Yeah, and then, and then, too, it's the legal precedent issue, too. If the union really wants to press this with Brady, who's got, you know, the union and Brady together have the money to fight this a long way. I mean, you can – it's a good – this is a good chance, I think, for them to really make a stand on that. I mean, this is this is their – Alamo or not Alamo? That's probably not the best example. <laughs> but uh, you know, this is their this is their line in the sand for you know to try to get Goodell off that you know that pivotal place in the player discipline process. So I, we'll see. It's interesting. Um, you know, just brace yourself for a whole lot of Deflate Gate in a, in just a few days. Uh, so that that'll be back again. But we also have the Des Bryant contract situation flared up a little bit today. Um, 
Dez, as you know, is playing on the franchise, Dallas franchise tag them. Um, if ever there was a candidate in my mind for a long-term contract extension, it'd be Des Bryant. I said earlier today on Twitter, it's like you look at what Calvin Johnson got and you look at what Larry Fitzgerald got recently and then Julio Jones. It's uh, I would have You'd have to work hard to convince me that Des Bryant shouldn't be the highest-paid wide receiver in the NFL right now. But uh, they're dragging their feet a little bit on contract negotiation. And then Des tweeted today, quote-unquote, everybody voicing opinions. $13 million is cool, but where is my security? I'll wait five years without complaining. How am I selfish? Question mark. And, you know, I think it's uh, he's got a point, you know? I mean, $13 million, obviously, a lot of money. It's a little hard for most of us to kind of wrap our head around that. But in terms of what players at his level in the NFL make, it's it's not. And it's not a lot of security either. It's just a one-year deal. I think, I mean, Stephen could answer this probably better, but it, don't players typically take it as kind of an insult when you get franchise tagged too because they're, you know, like you said, dragging their feet on giving him an, a long-term deal when he's obviously earned it. You know, he's – I don't think – you know, no tight end or, or receiver has scored more touchdowns than him over the last, like, three or four years. So, I mean, the numbers are there, and, you know, he hasn't he hasn't really done anything off the field that's that's, you know – seriously concerning other than sagging his pants or whatever that story was. But, um, but yeah, so it, it doesn't make any sense that they would, I guess, play too hard of ball with him in terms of getting a deal. I don't know what he's asking for, obviously, but, but yeah, like you said, he seems like a pretty obvious candidate for a long-term extension. Yeah. I mean, Steven, your thoughts, you know, for me, I think this is one of the cornerstones of your team, okay? Yeah. Here's a guy who has done everything you asked him to do. Has actually become he's he's gone from being kind of this knucklehead, like you said, with the sagging pants and you know <laughs> getting in trouble at the mall, getting in trouble with his mom, to being a team leader. You know, to the point where yeah. here's a guy who's firing up your whole team even when you're down in the fourth quarter, and yeah. and, and he can't be single covered. There isn't a I don't care who you can pull out Revis. All of them. There isn't a DB on the planet that can cover this man one-on-one. It can't happen. So why won't you pay him? I, you know, I'm a longtime Cowboys fan, grew up a Cowboys fan. I have no idea what the Cowboys are doing because out of all the players that are currently on their roster, it just seems crazy to draw the line in the sand with Dez Bryant. Yeah. When everybody gravitates to him, whether it's an older guy like Jason Witten or a younger guy like Terrence Williams, they all seem to gravitate to this kid, and he makes that team so much better in more ways than just catching the football. So to me, I understand perfectly where he's coming from. You, you can't compare $13 million in one season to getting, you know, $30, 40000000 million guaranteed over the life of a contract. Because with, with NFL players, unlike, you know, Major League Baseball or NHL, your only your contract is only as good as its guarantees. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like he said, for one year, thirteen million, that's great. But for his long term security, that's nothing. That's a drop in the bucket. Yeah. You, you can't even talk about it like that. This isn't you know some sixth round pick who barely is making the team. This is a perennial All Pro player who is one of the the cornerstones of your team. I, I just don't understand what they're doing. And at one of the most valuable positions in the league right now. I mean, it's it's a position that's like you can find all kinds of guys that are good receivers, but you can't find guys like Des Bryant that are 
uh, uh, that play at the level he does. I mean, the, and, and, and that are already there too. I mean, he's, and he's only 26 and he turns 27 in November. I mean, it, yeah. it's, it's crazy. He's young. This is, this is the time to lock. You're, you're saving money if you lock him up now, as opposed to waiting a year. They're, and he's playing in a low volume passing offense too, which people don't even realize. It's like everyone talks about the Seahawks receivers. The Cowboys threw the ball you know, in the same ballpark as the Seahawks did last year. And he had like 16 touchdowns or something ridiculous. 16 touchdowns led the league. And that's like absurd. Cause I think that the most Seahawks with the most re- receiving touchdowns in terms of the receiver position was like three or something like that. So it's yeah. like that. I mean, like Steven said, he is unguardable and it's just a no brainer. You know, if he can have that, that big of an impact in a low volume passing offense where they're running the ball more than almost anybody, like, I mean, yeah, I just, I don't know what's going on with that. Well, here's something. Okay, here's, Des Bryant was targeted. Dallas threw the ball 476 times last season. Mm-hmm. Des Bryant was targeted 136 of those times. That wow. is, let me see, I'm, I'm doing the math here. That's me slowly trying to click this on my computer here. <laughs> In like unpack, like I mean, it's almost almost a third of all Dallas passing attempts last year went to Des Bryant. Yeah, a third. And how many touchdowns did they have? I wonder. Like receiving specifically, they I mean probably like only a few more than what you had. Thirty-seven. Oh wow, thirty-seven. Thirty-seven total receiving touchdowns for the Cowboys last year. So obviously, Des Bryant, huge part of the passing game. And I just I can't understand it from Dallas's perspective. I mean, unless now you know I don't, what's going on behind the scenes. Maybe he's asking for, you know, for something that's unprecedented for right. even you know for even a wide receiver contract. But uh, you know, the sooner you lock him up, I mean, it, it just it stands to reason he's only going to be just as good or better this season. I mean, it just doesn't make sense why you wouldn't, you know be more willing to get a deal done now than, than the Cowboys seem to be at least publicly. Yeah. He's 26 years old, which is, he's not even really in the prime of his career in terms of what receivers do. So yeah, it's a mystery. And, and the thing of it is, you know, the, the Cowboys have kind of been mediocre for so long. You yes. have the one season where you finally bounce back and finally win a playoff game, which is something they hadn't done since the triplets were still playing. Yeah. And it's almost like you're, you're immediately dismantling their team. Now you let DeMarco Murray go. Now you're about to let one of the, if not the best, one of the best, probably top three wide receivers in the league. Yeah. You know, sit out. It, it just doesn't make any sense. I, it's, it's always one way or the other with like Jerry Jones and Dallas. Is either like, like focused on the super. So, I mean, like, think of all like the, I mean, obviously, Romo's a good quarterback. I'm not going to get into that whole Romo discussion. But, I mean, <laughs> I think Romo's a good quarterback, and I think Dallas was smart to lock him up. But, you know, they kind of got they, – they played the contract game with him and got in kind of some trouble with it because, you know, it, it was structured in a way where it ate up a big chunk of salary cap and, and, and forced – kind of forced their hand at future restructurings too. So, uh, you know, and here you've got a chance to kind of make it right with Dez and do it the right way and lock down a guy. And now it's almost Dallas is like the flip side of the hubris coin. And it's it's like, well, now nobody's bigger than the Dallas Cowboys. Now <laughs> our system is when DeMarco Murray found out the hard way. And by God, you're no, you're Dez Bryant. Just because you're Dez Bryant doesn't mean we can't go out there and find another 
crazy good receiver to, to come in here and, uh, and replace you just as easily, which obviously they can't. So we'll see, man. Well, I guess we'll <laughs> see. But uh, I, I don't know. Do you think, Stephen, you think this gets done before the season starts? Do you, think, do you think Bryant will miss any regular season games like they've kind of hinted at? I just don't know. For one thing, you think that it appeared for a while like Stephen Jones had kind of taken the reins from from uh, from his father, and and it looked like he was making better and more prudent moves. But I think they're just they're drawing the line in the sand with the wrong guy here, because Des Bryant is one of those guys who, if he says he's going to sit out. He's going to sit out. Yeah. He's not bluffing. No. I saw something the other day. I saw somebody write up. That he, no, he's not bluffing. That's one of those kids who really believes in loyalty and all that. He doesn't really believe that this is a business, even if he should. And so if they call his bluff, he's going to call theirs. Yeah. And then what are you going to do? So I, I just, and this is one of those times, you know, people are very rarely on the player's side. Yeah. But Des Bryant is on another level. So this might be one of those times where the fans are kind of like, cut the shit, Jerry. What, what's well, yeah. going on? <laughs> well, yeah, it's crazy. And this guy has submitted to so much. I mean, you've mentioned that when the, when we first started this discussion about Dez, Stephen, that, you know, here's all the stuff that, that he got. And he was kind of had some knucklehead stuff in his early, you know, as a rookie in his early, in the early part of his career there. And Dallas did all this, you know, the, the talk about the loyalty thing. Dallas went after him and threw, hit him over the head with all the loyalty stuff. And they, you know, they put him on curfew. They managed just where he could and couldn't go. You know, the malls and, and the pants he could wear and stuff like that. They put him through all this personal management shit. And then now it, it comes back to this. Yep. So, and I think he'd be right. You know what? If if he sits out a week of the first, if he sits out to start the season, I, I mean, I don't blame him. You know, it's within his right. He doesn't have any – what other leverage does he have here? Are the fans going to turn against him if he does that, though? I, I, I just don't think so. I, I, I think that he's one of those – it's kind of like Emmett back in the day. Yeah. He's one of those guys who's yeah. such a competitor. You know, he's not really a wide receiver. He's just a football player. He goes out there and blocks, knocks the shit out of people, goes up and catches the ball when he knows he's going to get his block knocked off. And I think those kind of guys – and it would probably take PFT Covenant to talk about this, but it's those gritty guys like that who just so happen to be fantastic athletes as well, where fans have a, a connection to them. Yeah. You know, it's, he's not just a wide receiver. He's not just a guy that runs, go routes, you know, and, and mm-hmm. is just flashy. He does the dirty work too. So I think maybe he won't gain any new fans, but people who are already Dez Bryant fans, I think they're going to be dug in right along with him. Yeah. And I, and I just don't see how, and from a fan's perspective, <laughs> here you finally have enjoyed a winning Cowboys season. Are you really going to, do you really think the Cowboys are going to go out and win? You know, are they going to go win 12 games without Des Bryant this season? Hell no. No way. Nope. Yeah, he's, yeah he's, he's so important to their offense, so. No, I mean, and take- as close as the NFC East is, is like Des Bryant, that's it. I mean, no Des Bryant, that's all it takes. That's, you know, you've given the Eagles – the edge right there. And and their, their defense is still not really like, you know, their defense is still middling. It's their <laughs> offense that runs that thing. Yeah, right. absolutely. And, and as much as we talk about how well they ran the ball last year, a significant part of that was teams still had to keep a safety over top of Dez Bryant. Yeah. So you still mm-hmm. couldn't stack the box 
even if you knew they were going to try to run the ball. That's right. So what are you going to do when they can go back to stacking the box? Yeah. You know, good luck. Yeah, exactly. Well, speaking of gritty players who inspire a lot of uh, fan sentiment and emotion, Johnny Idiot Face, as I guess he's now <laughs> called on the WWE circuit, uh, Johnny Manziel in Cleveland, just came out right before we hit record on this uh, this little podcast today on Wednesday afternoon that Johnny Manziel is not going to use the money sign anymore. He's matured. He's been through rehab. <laughs> he's saying the right things in the, his media interviews now, which is a good sign. But on the flip side, he doesn't really. He's not really doing the right things in camp. I think he's he's struggled a little bit. I think what, what did Steve say earlier today? They fumbled something like three times and, and just won eleven on eleven and eleven work in camp already. And this is in shorts and shirt. I mean, this isn't like full padded practice. So. A little bit of a, you know, you want to see the maturity, but you don't want to see the struggles. What is it too late for Manziel? Is it does he have a snowball's chance, Danny? I mean, it's not looking good. And like you heard reports earlier this offseason that the team had given up on him, and obviously they, or they're moving on from him, or whatever the quote was. But um, you know, obviously they're going to give him a shot, but it's just like uh, spending, you know, a big portion of last year in in rehab and. Um, just all the distractions around, you know, his, like, he has got like that cult of personality kind of thing going. And it's like, I mean, it's like Tebow in a way, obviously it's a little bit different, but the pressure for him to succeed is enormous. And, uh, you know, so far he just has not handled it worse. Well, so it, it just doesn't <clears throat> look good, you know, from this, at this point of view. Yeah. Steven, you, you think, you think Manziel can pull it together or does he need to maybe, what would a change of of scenery be better for him out of Cleveland, you think? No, you know what? I, I actually think that sitting behind Josh McCown would do wonders for his career yeah. this year. Yeah. Because Josh McCown, and I saw this myself last year, is one of the most secure quarterbacks you're ever going to find. He's going to help Johnny Manziel, maybe even to his own, uh, uh, against his own benefit. And so... I think Johnny Manziel is a, a kid who would have been ruined if they just threw him out there and made him the starting quarterback. He has a lot to learn. He has some personal issues off the field. At least now with McCown there, and it, it, from all appearances, McCown is looking good in the offseason. There isn't going to be quite the same amount of pressure on him to produce right away. And so that gives him the opportunity to learn. That gives him the opportunity to make mistakes in practice and grow from that. Now, will fans turn on him? Probably, because they were so happy to get him at first. You know, you know they, they love you and then they hate you. But ultimately, for his career, I do think him being able to be behind Josh McCown without, without it really being a competition and learn, yeah. really and truly learn from a guy who actually wants to teach him and wants him to get better is going to do wonders for his career in the long run. Now, will... He take advantage of that? That's the question that remains to be seen. Yeah, and that's where the I mean, that's where the rubber meets the road for all this mature. You know, I'm retiring the money sign. I'm matured. I'm chastened. All this stuff. That's where, to me, that's where you're really going to see the the furthering of Johnny, the growth of Johnny Manziel, the uh, the, uh, the, the the off the field stuff. So we'll see what happens. I don't know. It's it's going to be an interesting situation to watch. I kind of agree with you, Stephen. I, I think you know. Sitting a year certainly isn't going to hurt him at all if he can just kind of tolerate it. 
The other big news that's happened since we last um, convened this here little podcast is a, a kind of yet another head scratching Chip Kelly move. They, uh, they had some contract had a contract standoff with Evan Matthews and or Evan Mathis rather, and they cut him. They released him outright. I mean, here's a guy now he's over thirty, but he was one of the better guards in the NFL last season. And now you've got uh, you've got four teams supposedly in the mix, according to John Clayton. I think it's the 49ers, the Colts, the Chiefs, and the Dolphins because the Dolphins haven't spent enough money this offseason yet. <laughs> um, I, were you surprised that they just cut him outright like that, Stephen? Um, a little bit surprised. It, it, probably the timing surprised me more than anything else. If they were going to cut him. Outright, I would have thought they would have done it before the draft and then drafted an offensive lineman. Yeah, it, they they knew that they weren't that he wasn't in their plans this year, and they still didn't try to draft his replacement. So I'm not really sure what's going on there. A lot of Philly fans, and I understand this, have in their head that their mantra kind of is, "Well, we had all this talent and we wasn't winning playoff games with them." Well, look, you know who used against Miami for that? The head coach. Yeah. Instead, they've given him more power. So if you're <laughs> telling me, if you're admitting to me that these guys are talented and you weren't winning with them, I don't know where the thought comes come from that you're going to win with lesser players. Yeah. So we'll see. You know, I, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm on the chip is crazy train. I know some people aren't, but I've been on it quite firmly for a while. <laughs> I just, this has all the makings of everything imploding on Chip Kelly this year. We'll yeah. see, but it just, you know you don't cut guys like that who are make. Look, Evan Mathis wasn't happy with his contract last year, and yet he still fought through injury, came back and played well. So here's a guy he might not have been happy with his contract, but he's still going to go out there and play well for you. Why would you cut that guy? Yeah, I, especially I mean, offensive line depth and quality offensive linemen are hard to find. Man. Oh, my God. Please, look, I could preach for hours on it down here in Tampa. <laughs> Danny, who do you – what do you, of all those teams, who do you think who do you think needs could use Mathis the most? What would be the best fit for him? Well, the Niners make a lot of sense considering, you know, some of the losses they've had on their offensive line. And, you know, we've heard a little bit about it. I know that, uh, that Fooch over at Niners Nation has talked about how the Niners are – potentially making a switch to more zone blocking versus what they did last year. And so obviously Mathis has a lot of experience in that. He's a, he's a veteran, you know, they, the Niners are kind of seeing a little bit of a vacuum in terms of their veteran leadership right now, potentially with all the retirements and whatnot. So, um, you know, I think he, going to uh, the 49ers makes a lot of sense in that sense, but or in, in that, uh, because of all those reasons, but, um, but yeah, I don't know. You know, I don't know what their cap situation is. I don't know what Mathis wants because, you know, obviously, I think he was supposed to get paid five million or something around around that this year, and he wasn't happy with that. So, is he going to get more? Is the demand going to be uh, enough for him across the league? And so, uh, you know, it, it, a lot depends on that. But I think first impression is the Niners make a lot of sense. I have to think he's going to find a contract to his liking, just because, like we've said already, it's like the need for good offensive lineman outweighs, you know, outweighs the supply of them. I mean, so it makes sense to the Niners. I could see the Colts taking a shot at him too. I mean, they invested in Frank Gore. Yeah. I mean, you've yeah. got, I don't know that he's necessarily the best fit for their offensive line, but I mean, I think, you know, considering what they've invested in, 
this off season to really make a run at the AFC title, then I think that he's, you know, I think that's a team that certainly has to really kind of, you know, be in it to win it when it comes to bidding for Mathis on, on those things. And you mentioned the 49ers, Danny, and, they, and, you, and interestingly enough, they had an offensive lineman. Anthony Davis announced his retirement, but he also kind of left the door open for returning. Yeah. It, within, he, within like, you know, a, a, a window of, you know, a couple years. It, like, yeah, and is that like a – I think a lot of people look at it like what is going on in San Francisco, you know, like is he just like punting this season, <laughs> you know, because he doesn't want to have to deal with that or what. So uh, that was an interesting way of wording it, definitely. Like, you know, if he's really worried about his health, what is – you know, or like the concussion thing, which I think was one of the main things, like what does taking a year off do Yeah, for that? Um, I can understand if it was other parts of it, like, you know, his knees or shoulders or whatever, but – but yeah, so it, that, that was definitely an interesting way of going about it and putting it because uh, it kind of sh- throws a little shade on on the 49ers' like leadership right now. Yeah, uh, Stephen, have you ever have you ever heard of that left where he, a guy kind of retires like a 25 year old retires like that and leaves the door open to return in a, a quote unquote a year or so? <laughs> Not on his terms. Yeah, he might have he might have gotten retired by the time that he was playing for. And had to sit out a year and came back, but it wasn't because he wanted to. I can tell you that much. Because here's the thing: now he's got to pay back the prorated portion of his signing bonus. Yeah. Uh, and, and usually that money has already been spent. And 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 my thing is, what in the world makes him think that he's going to be nearly as uh, in demand in a couple of years or a year or so if he chooses to come back? Teams always say this, when you start thinking about retirement, usually you're already retired. So they're not going to go through, hey, man, let's give this guy a bunch of money when he might quit again in five or six months. Yeah. They're just not going to do this. So um, on an intellectual level, it just doesn't make sense at all uh, if he's planning on coming back. If he's leaving that door open just as a long shot, then it makes sense. But if he's really planning on coming back in a couple of years, look, man, you can fake it. <laughs> you can fake it through this season. Nobody will care. Yeah. <laughs> and you won't have to put back the signing bonus. I, I just don't get what's going on out there in San Francisco, man. Maybe it's something in the water. <laughs> it really, it's, it, it's just a weird situation out there. And I, I mean, it, Tom Sue is by all accounts, a coach that the players like, I don't know. Maybe that's just what they feed the media too, but and then you have John York, who's uh, Jed York's father. And I guess John York's also on, interestingly enough, the player safety committee for the um, league. Um, what did he say? He said, well, most concussions are just kind of slipping and falling. <laughs> so if you are concerned about concussions, I suspect right now the 49ers is a team that maybe raises a red flag or two for you. <laughs> yeah, that seems like a little bit of a conflict, but... But hey, we're used to the Yorks saying crazy shit and getting away with it. So we'll just we'll move on and see how the season goes for the 49ers this year. It could be a little rough. Uh, um, did you guys see the did you guys see the latest on the Chargers? They released a statement uh saying that they don't think it's possible and they're not really uh they kind of shut down the possibility of ongoing negotiations for a ballot and for a stadium ballot issue in San Diego with the, you know, working with the city government on that issue. Um, 
it, it sure looks a lot like the Chargers are ready to go, ready to pull up stakes and head to Los Angeles. Yeah, is that them throwing in the towel on? Not officially. It's them throwing in the towel on, um, you know, maybe trying to get a ballot measure this year, and then you know, to the the California's process of having to, you know, clear that for environmental concerns. Any stadium site would have to be cleared. You know, right. pretty rigorous environmental study. Um, you know, to make sure the impact it, it squares with the impact of, of of the building codes and and the laws out there, but. That's it's kind of a big deal, and then you add in the Rams situation. The Rams announced their um, training camp thing yesterday, and they're going to Oxnard, California, for some dual practice practices <laughs> with the Cowboys, which Jeff Fisher insists is totally not related. And as we know, Jeff Fisher has never lied about anything. <coughs> Sam <Yeah>. Bradford, <laughs> um, but uh, totally not related. But interestingly enough, the last open practice for fans in St. In St. Louis is August 11th, which is kind of a key date in this whole L.A. thing because all 32 and, well, I guess 31 and then whoever represents the pack, the Packers shareholders <laughs> are getting together on August 11th specifically to discuss the Los Angeles situation. And I think um, if I had to make an educated guess right now, I would say that maybe by the end of the day on August 11th or by August 12th, we might know who's headed to Los Angeles because That's the owners cool. don't get together very often in August. Yeah, they're all off on vacation, probably. Yes, it's, or they're on their private billionaires' islands or whatever it is. If you guys were a fan, let me start with you, Steve. If you were a fan of one of these teams, what are you thinking right now? Well, I mean, if you're the Chargers, is it really that big of a deal? You know, it, yeah. it's a huge deal if you're in St. Louis because you can't. You know, you got to hop on a flight. Yeah. To get to to get to your team. If you know you're you're in San Diego, you can probably drive to wherever they're going to move to in LA. Yeah. So I, I just I think Chargers fan, you kind of get the the feeling they're all mellow and you know kind of uh, <laughs> so the, the beach going type. Anyway, you can't really see those guys really you know out with uh, torches and pitchforks yeah. in San Diego. I mean, it's just too chill out there. But if you're the Rams. Um, and, and you know, I can remember the, the greatest show on turf. You know, it, those, those are the guys who beat us in the yeah. NFC championship game. And I remember how much pride the city had back when that team was really rolling. And so, you know, if I'm a St. Louis Rams fan, I would be very disappointed. I'd be very upset. At the same time, I wouldn't have liked, you know, the strong arm tactics they were trying to get. Uh, uh, public funding for a stadium. Yeah. But I would still be upset, man, because it seems almost like th- this is all a charade now. Yeah. You know, it, it, we, they're just going through the motions, but the contracts have probably already been signed. Kind of like yeah. uh, uh, when when um, when they already had a new coach here when Tony Dungy was still coaching. Yeah. It seems like it, 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 it's already been done. They're just going through the motions and, and making it look good. And so if you're a St. Louis fan, I'll be pissed off. If I'm a Chargers fan, I'm not really sure I care either way. Yeah. Well, and as a St. Louis fan, I know some people might question that sometimes, but it is <laughs> like, I mean, I really am a Rams fan, but it's just been, you know, it's been a decade it's of hard. terrible, hard. terrible football too. Right. And like here, you know, we started, hell, we started a team blog for the Rams that became pretty significant voice in that turf show times in the midst of this, just, you know, the last good season they had was 2006. They went eight and eight. 
And like, you know, you, you suffered through that and there are this, there's this hardcore nucleus of fans there, but it's just this untenable position of it's like, well, you've either got to, you know, fork over 400 to 500 million dollars and you've got the governor that's still trying to bend over backwards to give the guy that kind to give the nfl that kind of money for a state that absolutely can't afford that a state in a city that absolutely cannot afford to subsidize you know the second richest owner in the national football league i mean really and truly and it's just i don't know it's a shitty position and this is something we'll talk about I'm sure much more down the road in future podcasts, but uh, it's a it's a tough spot by any means. And then and then you have the owner that really doesn't that won't engage with fans at all. And you have the team that this year they cut off a whole bunch of of their normal fan engagement stuff. I mean, they used to do three weeks, three and a half weeks of open training camp practice, and those practices will be packed. And those practices will be packed for a team that won two wins the year before because there was enough optimism to bring people in there to watch those guys practice. And sure as shit, you have an owner that just, you know, won't acknowledge the fans that are there at all. They've already told people inside the front office that, you know, they're going to be looking for, uh, you know, that they need to be ready to move and ready to not have their jobs if they move to California because they want sales and marketing people who are acclimated to that market, so to speak. And it's just... You know, it's it's like Major League. It's just it's that whole which I mean I think the owner in Major League was literally based off Georgia Frontier, who was the previous Rams owner, who did much of the same thing to LA fans in you know twenty years ago. So I don't know. I could rant and rave about that all day. It's probably not what our <laughs> listeners want to hear. I'm sure we don't have a large contingent of Rams fans on the podcast, surprisingly enough. But uh. But it is what it is, and we'll have more to talk about that later. One more thing I want to get to, because I don't want to end on the the Los Angeles talk. (laughs) Jason Campbell retired. Now, Jason Campbell was always in that okay enough range of quarterbacks. Great guy to have as a backup. Probably not the guy you wanted to make your franchise, the face of your franchise. Um, Also, you know, the greatest Washington quarterback since Joe Theismann. But, you know, there's there is that. So, uh but it raises a point. Um, who are the league's best backup quarterbacks now? Danny, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming you're not going to say it's Matt Flynn. <laughs> no, I'm not going to say that. You know, it, that's tough because all the backups seem to fall into that same category. So, like, how do you really, like, differentiate them? Um, I'm kind of a little bit biased. I mean, obviously. But the two guys that I thought about are former or Well, one's a current Seahawk, one's a former Seahawk. Matt Hasselbeck with the Colts. Yeah. Um, he's 39, but you know, he's, he's gotten, so, he has so much experience. He's loved by the team there. Um, very highly respected. He can, you Long know, career as a starter too. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and so like in terms of quality guys that you'd be okay with coming in, like say a guy gets hurt in the middle of a game, you know, like Hasselbeck's not going to freak out like and, and go, you know, throw five picks or something like that. So he can kind of, you know, carry the torch and if, if luck goes out and, I think, you know, they can still operate their offense and everything like that. And then obviously, you know, I was alluding to Tavares Jackson. I think he's a fairly, you know, um, competent quarterback. You know, obviously he's not going to wow you with anything, but in terms of how he fits the Seahawks, he's got a really strong arm, so he can definitely operate their downfield passing element. You know, obviously they're... can run that offense. Yeah, and so it's like it's like Pete Carroll is always talking about how like if if they need to go to Tavares Jackson, things are going to be they'll look different, but they're not going to like you know flame like crash and burn. That's like yeah. a big part of their thing. So 
you know, obviously those are two guys I've watched a lot. And so those are my first two at mine, but um, you know, so, those are two guys I had in mind. All right. I'm going to flip it to Steven. Steven, who gets your vote for that coveted um, honor? You know, it's funny. We're talking back of quarterbacks. It's just so happened to see something this morning about Josh Freeman being the number four quarterback in Miami right now. Wow. And just such a precipitous fall wow. for him. Yeah. But as for this question, I think Chase Daniels is a guy that I like a lot uh, yeah. in Kansas City. Uh, and also, I can't remember his name, but the backup quarterback for the Panthers. Uh, he did a great job last year when, when Cam was kind of in and out of the lineup. Uh, and I've always uh, thought he was a very good quarterback anyway. Uh, he, he, started, he was a starter, I think, before Cam got there and then transitioned well to being a backup and knowing his role and being ready when he was called upon. So I think those are two guys that I wouldn't, you know, if, if you're uh, uh, the head coach, you don't mind having to go to those guys in, in pressure situations if, if need be. Yeah. De- Derek Anderson, are you talking about? Derek Anderson. Well, no. Yeah, that might be it. Derek Anderson, yeah. Yeah. I, hey, I have a, here's a quarter, a Tampa Bay quarterback question for you. Is, is Mike Glennon, I mean, is Mike Glennon going to be with the team for a long time, or is are they going to? He'll be a long, he'll be here a long time holding a, holding a clipboard. <laughs> uh, you, you know, the, the funny thing is they've kind of created some drama down here by having him take first team reps. Yeah, like many of them opened the other day, and the, you know the media was all there, and who's out there first? Mike Glennon, not Jameis Winston, the number one pick in the draft, <laughs> Mike Glennon. But at the same time, after practice, uh, Lovey Smith doesn't even refer to Mike Glennon by name. He just refers to him as the backup quarterback. Yeah. So, <laughs> let's know what, what's, what the deal is here. But he's a guy who I think is, is competent, is smart, uh, won't go in there. He won't go in there and just blow the game for you. Kind of like Jason Campbell, won't win the game for you, but won't blow it for you either. I don't think, but I don't think he's ever going to be the guy, whether it's here or anywhere else either. So he might well stay here, hold a clipboard for 10 years, and then go into coaching. Yeah. Not, hey, not bad work. Not bad work yeah, if uh, you can get it. As again. <laughs> not bad at all. <laughs> all right, fellas, it's been a good podcast. Um, we will reconvene next week, and I'm sure we'll probably have some plenty of stuff to talk about then too. So, uh Thanks for joining us today, and check us out on iTunes. You can download us on iTunes. We post it on SoundCloud, so we're there, too, if you want to do that. If you want to get it that way and, uh, and, and take a listen. Guys, thanks again. Thank you. It's great.